following message is from Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. More information about Hope Church can be found at hopechurchonline.com. If you are visiting with us this weekend at Hope, we are on a journey together that's lasted all summer long. All through the summer, we have been journeying through the wonderful Old Testament book, of Psalms. And what a journey it's been, church family. Amen. I mean, it's just been a great journey together as we have walked through the book of Psalms. And it's really involved a couple of things. It's involved daily reading together through the entire book of Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, 150 different chapters in the book of Psalms. And we have been just daily walking through a reading plan where we've been reading those Psalms together digging into the Word of God. And then in our small groups, we've been diving in further into conversation about what we're reading. And then in the weekend services, we are preaching out of the Psalms that we've been reading for the previous week. And that's kind of been our pattern. Up until last weekend, we decided to take one particular Psalm and look at it over the course of two weeks because it is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, if you're reading along with us in the daily reading plan, you finished it last Sunday morning. If you're a little bit behind, you kept reading into Psalm 119 this week. But we understand that there's a dominant theme in the 119th Psalm. And that dominant theme is the psalmist describing the activity of the Word of God in our lives personally and practically. In the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says about the Word of God that it is living and active. It means that God's Word is alive and it is actively at work. It's doing things in our lives. And the 119th Psalm just overflows with language about the activity of the Word of God in our lives. So what we did last weekend, if you remember... We, we took the 119th Psalm as pastors, and we spent several hours in it, and we tried to reduce all of the statements that are in there, over 60-plus statements about the Word of God in the 119th Psalm, and we reduced it down to eight defining statements about the activity of God's Word in each of our lives. And we did four of them last weekend, and we're going to look at four new ones this morning. Before we dive into the new ones, let me just quickly review what we covered last weekend, just in case you weren't here. Here's what it says. Last weekend, we looked at, number one, God's word promises me God's favor. Remember the umbrella? If you get under the umbrella of God's word and you order your life around the parameters and boundaries of the word of God, God's word promises us the blessing and the favor of God. I hope this week you took some time and evaluated your life. Am I consistently living within the boundaries and parameters of the Word of God? Letting God speak into your life. The second one I gave you last weekend is that God's Word produces in me godly character. And here's what we said about that. That the Christian life is not conformity to a system of do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. But the Christian life is God changing me from the inside out. He's conforming me to the image of Jesus. And here's how that happens. Predominantly, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change us on the inside so that the life of Christ begins to spill out. On the outside. So it produces godly character in me. Number three, 
God's word ushers me into God's presence. You remember last week we made the statement that the psalmist understood that time in the word of God is to be time spent with God. That reading the Bible is not just some exercise we've been given in order to be a good Christian. I have to read my Bible. No, God's given us His Word, and He desires to use His Word as the centerpiece of a daily intimate conversation that we have with God. So God speaks to us daily through His Word, and then we get to have a conversation with God speaking back to Him in response to what God is speaking Through his word. Then we gave you a fourth one. God's word counsels me in my daily life. Counsels me in my daily life. We looked at the verse. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we talked about how the word of God is like a how-to manual. Filled with instruction for daily practical living. God's word gives us wisdom. It gives us counsel. It gives us discernment. It gives us understanding. All of these are describing the activity of the Word of God in our lives. You saw those four things. It promises me God's favor. It produces godly character. It ushers me into the presence of God. It counsels me in my daily life. What is that? That is the activity of the Word of God in our lives. Now, maybe you're here this weekend, and you were here last weekend, Or maybe you weren't here and you caught up online and you watched it and and you're here today and here's what you're thinking. Pastor, I hear what you're saying. But you need to know, I, I try to read the Bible. I mark out some time and I try to read God's Word. But if I'm just going to be honest, it doesn't feel very active in my life right now. I'm not looking for a show of hands this morning. But I think if we got honest, there's probably a lot of us this morning who would say, I'm I'm doing what you're saying. I'm reading the Bible, but I'm not feeling the activity of God's Word in my life. Well, let me first say to you today, you are not alone. All right? Don't think that you are somehow broken spiritually. All right? That it just doesn't work for me. Sometimes you hear preachers like me or others teach on this principle, and I'm afraid that some of you have the idea that every day Pastor Vance sits down and he opens the Bible, and as he opens the Bible, there's a light that comes down from heaven out of the sky, and this light begins to fill the room and emanate with the presence of God as the angels in the background are playing their harp, and as Vance reads a verse of Scripture, God just begins to overwhelm him with amazing truth, and there's bells and whistles and flashes of lightning and thunder. That's not the way it happens, all right? And any Jesus follower that tells you That it's always that way for them? (laughs) Just stepped outside of the umbrella, all right? Because they just lied and moved outside the boundary and they're headed for disaster. Because that's not the way it is. Every one of us go through periods and seasons in our life where we're reading. And sometimes they're extended periods. It's not just like a day or two. Sometimes it can go weeks or months where you're reading the Word of God, and it just doesn't fit. You're not feeling the activity of God's Word in your life. What's wrong? Well, let me give you some encouraging 
scripture today to speak to that very issue before we look at the next four. It's, out, it's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. I want to put it up on the screen and, and I hope this gives you some insight today. Isaiah says, for as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing. The word accomplish there is the Hebrew word for being active. He says, it won't come back to me without being active in what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Do you hear what he says there? God's word always is at work in us accomplishing the desire of God. But I want you to notice something. Look how the verse opens. For as the, say it out loud, rain and snow. What do rain and snow have in common? (laughs) Besides the fact that it doesn't happen in Nevada. Somebody said here on the front. It's it's wet, right? It's water. And, And ultimately, both rain and snow water the earth. That's what he said. As rain and snow come down from heaven, don't return without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnish seed to the sower. Rain and snow both water the earth. But they do it differently. When it rains, immediately the earth is watered. When it rains, immediately everything gets wet. But living in Nevada, we understand the importance of snow because we have to depend on those who live in mountainous regions close to us. And we have to wait on their snow to do what? Melt. And when their snow melts... Then what happens? Then that becomes liquid form and we get the blessing of that water coming down to us and doing what God sent it here to do. Rain and snow both water the earth, but one of them is instant. The other is delayed. You have to wait on it to melt to see the real fruit of that precipitation. Sometimes you sit down to open the word of God. And it starts to rain. And God with his word just immediately begins to speak into your situation. God and his word. You know what it's like. Man, there are those times when you open the Bible and it's like God put that verse in there today for me. Man, it's raining. I'm getting wet. I'm sensing God speaking. There's the activity of God being worked out in my life through his word. But other days. You're in the Word and you don't feel it. What's happening? Let me tell you what's happening. He's building a snowbank in your life. And in the moment when you need it, the Spirit of God will melt away that bank of Scripture in your heart And he will saturate your heart with his word when you least expect it. Let me give you an example from from my life. My wife's over here in this service. We got married really young. I was 20. She was 19 years old. So we got married really young. We were were in college at the time and didn't have hardly any money at all. It just was uh, this, you know, love is just going to carry you through. Amen. (laughs) So... uh, 
the problem is they don't cash that at the grocery store, right? So we get married, and we're really young. We don't have a lot of money. We're living in married student housing. We're pretty, pretty poor at the time, and uh, we have this plan. We're going to wait five years to start having kids, and you, you know how those plans work, right? So three months into being married at 2019, we're expecting our first child. We get pregnant three months in. Hannah, who uh, was sitting over here, she just let us in worship. Hannah was our firstborn. And so we're three months into marriage. I'm a brand-new husband, now a brand-new father, don't have any money, working, going to school, And the weight of all of that begins to settle on my heart. And it's heavy. And I'm trying to find some promise, some word from God, and it ain't happening. And I'll never forget, I was driving across O'Neill Bridge. It's the bridge from my hometown, Muscle Shoals, Alabama, across the Tennessee River into Florence, Alabama, where I went to college And I'm driving across O'Neill Bridge. And right about the midpoint of that bridge, the Spirit of God in a still, small voice in my heart, I hear these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I hadn't read that verse in years. You know where it was? It was in a snowbank in my heart that the Spirit of God, when I needed it most, when I was most desperate, the Spirit of God melted away that snowbank in my heart and He saturated my life with His Word and spoke right now. Now, here's the challenge if we're not consistent in giving priority to the Word in our lives, There's no snowbank being built up. And in those moments, we're scrambling trying to find something we can hang on to. But if you're somebody who you're in the Word, you're going, I'm just not feeling it. I don't sense the activity. Hang on. God's building a snowbank. Here's what I do sometimes. I'll sit down, have my time with the Lord, read the Word, and God feels a million miles away. I'll just say, Lord... Thank you today for building up a snowbank. And I trust that when you're ready, that you'll speak to me from your word that you had for me today. Does that make, if that makes sense, say amen. amen. If that encourages you, say amen. amen. All right, let, let me give you the four statements for today. We're going to move on. Here's the first one. God's word awakens in me the worship of God. God's word awakens in me the worship of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 38. The psalmist says, Establish your word to your servant as that which, don't miss this, produces reverence for you. The psalmist said, Man, give me your word because your word produces in me a reverence. The word reverence here is a word that often is translated the fear of the Lord. It's the attitude or the awareness of God's presence and God's person. I love this quote by R.C. Sproul. Look what he said. The fear of the Lord is a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God. Here's what happens. Through the word of God, we grow 
in the knowledge of God. You see, one of the reasons God gave us this book, He gave us this book to reveal Himself to us so that you and I could know Him. We could know about Him. And not just the gospel. Listen, the gospel is glorious that we can be saved because of what Jesus did. But that's just the beginning of the revelation of who God is for us, His great grace and His amazing forgiveness. But as we have the Word of God, the Word of God gives us knowledge about who God is. And the more we understand who God is, and the more we understand His character, we are filled with awe and wonder at the majesty of God. That's what the psalmist said. It produces reverence. Let me show you another verse. Psalm 119, verse 161 and 162. Look what it says. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in, say it out loud, awe. It stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. The word awe that he uses here, if you look it up in a dictionary, here's a definition of the word awe. A mixed emotion of reverence, respect, dread, and wonder inspired by authority, genius, Great beauty, sublimity, or might. Here's what the psalmist says. As we dig into the word of God, we see the glory of God. As we dig into the word of God, we understand the amazing grace of God. As we dig into the Word of God, we're captivated by the forgiveness of God. As we understand the Word of God, we're overwhelmed by the omnipotence of God, that God is all-powerful and that God is sovereign. As we dig into the Word, we're we're just delighted with the omniscience of God and His infinite wisdom and His understanding and the fact that He possesses all knowledge. As we understand the Word of God, we're blown away by the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere all the time and you can never escape his presence. As we dig into the word of God, we understand the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. And the more we do that, there's only one legitimate response. Worship. We just worship God. All those things that we would never know apart from the Word of God. But God gave us His Word so that we could know those things. And the more we know those things, the more we respond in worship. I wrote this down. Here's a reality. The absence of worship occurs when someone has an inadequate view of God. If my heart is not responding to God in worship. And listen, worship can look all kinds of ways. Worship can be exaltation. Worship can be celebration. Worship can be submission and surrender. But as we dig into the Word of God, here's what happens. The Word of God quickens. It awakens in us a desire to worship this great and awesome God. Let me give you a second one. God's Word sustains me in life's trials. How many of you have that testimony? Say amen. 
You've been in the middle of one of those dark situations and God gave you a word. A word from his word that just sustained you. Listen to the way the psalmist wrote it. Look at it. Psalm 119 verse 92. If your law, you can hear his emotion. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Here's what he's saying. If it hadn't been for your word, I wouldn't have made it. It was so dark, the difficulty was so real, the challenge was so great. God, if it wasn't for your word, I would have perished. But look what he says. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. The word affliction in that verse is a word that means misery. It's a state of extreme discomfort, physically, mentally, spiritually. Here's what the psalmist said. Man, in those days when everything around me was crumbling... When life seemed to be coming apart at the seams, God gave me a word from his word, and that word brought life. When I thought life was over, when I thought I had nowhere to turn, God, through his word, spoke into my heart and brought life. He revived me. The psalmist acknowledges that life gets hard. Anybody give a testimony that sometimes life gets hard, right? Maybe right now where you're living, you'd say, hey, I'm not giving a testimony. I'm living it. It's hard. Right now, it's hard. Sometimes we go through difficult situations and circumstances. But here's what the psalmist says. The word is living and active. It it brings life. And that's not just true individually. Sometimes together with others. We go through life's storms. We've walked through some as a church family together. Do you remember what happened two years ago this week? Watch this. Family, just wanted to uh, get you some information this afternoon. Obviously, we've had a a very severe rainstorm here in Las Vegas, and currently our church is uh, under a river. Take this as an opportunity to pray. Pray for what God's doing in the life of our church. Obviously, this was not a part of our plan. We don't know what's going to happen out of this. We don't know the damages yet. We're going to keep you with information as best we can. We do know that God's in control. We do know that God uses all things together for His good, and that we can trust Him. Even when circumstances don't appear to be what we think they ought to be. And that cleanup from yesterday's storm, far from over for a church in Las Vegas. Yesterday's flooding caused mud and debris to sweep through Hope Church. Severe flooding has left four inches of standing water inside a brand new church. Volunteers spent the day cleaning up Hope Church, which was hit hard by yesterday's flooding in the area of Cactus and Maryland Parkway. Dozens of members here are trying to do what they can to just clean up the entire area. Two of their buildings were hit very hard. Dave, yesterday, this entire piece of property was absolutely covered in water.
awesome effort by church members to come in and clean up this area. We understand that the church is not a building, the church is a people. Um, but this is a gathering place for us, and as you can see, just hundreds and hundreds of people have shown up today just to help us clean uh, and to get this place ready uh, for this weekend. What began yesterday for us as a real tragedy, by the end of the day it began become an unbelievable blessing as hundreds of our people began to pour in here with shovels and squeegees and wheelbarrows and everything to just do whatever they could to help us start getting back to normal. And in the middle, amen. And in the middle of that, listen, I promise you, that was not our plan, right? I mean, when God called my family to the desert, I knew we would encounter a lot. I never dreamed it'd be a flood. But God, in the middle of that, spoke into the life of our church and gave us a word. You remember what it was? In James chapter 1, verse 2, here's what it said. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God gave us a word, and he sustained us in the middle of that trial. You do remember what happened the weekend before the flood, right? The weekend before the flood, we distributed to you 50,000 invitation cards. Literally, we gave out 50,000 invite cards and said, bring everybody you can bring. And then the building is underwater, and we're thinking, Lord, what's going on? And for the next week, we were the lead story on the news, five straight days. Listen, the president visited Las Vegas, and we preempted the president on the news. That's how big a story it was locally. Over the next five weeks, listen, over the next five weeks from the flood, we saw over 200 people become first-time followers of Jesus Christ. God gave us a word, and he sustained us. And listen, God's still giving us a word. This, this, some of you may laugh this off, but I'm telling you, this is just the God we serve. If you're reading along in the book of Psalms, this Wednesday was the two-year mark from the day I was driving to the airport when they sent me the text and said, we're underwater. I was supposed to go speak in Dallas, Texas. And I get that text. I come to the building. It was this last Wednesday. If you're reading in the Psalms with us, this Wednesday, we read Psalm 124. Did you see it? Look what he said. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord. Listen, God gives us a word in the midst of our storms to sustain us, to bring life. And isn't it just like God to take a flood and make it an awesome story? Isn't it just like God to take the broken pieces of our lives and weave them into a masterpiece for His 
glory. Listen, that is the God we serve. You get that? Say amen. Let me give you another one. Number, Number seven. God's word can always be trusted. God's word can always be trusted. Over and over, the psalmist repeats this idea. Let me give you a couple of them. Psalm 119, verse 89. Listen to what he says. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We may have some debates down here, but there's not any debates going on in heaven. It's settled. His word is settled. Look at the next one. Psalm 119, verse 160. The sum of your word. Here's what the psalmist said. You just take all the word of God and pile it up, and here's what you got. Truth. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your ordinances is everlasting. Let me show you another one. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait. You hear the confidence? I wait for your word. You ever seen the bumper sticker? God said it. I believe it, and that settles it. How many of you have seen that bumper sticker? Well, it's wrong. God said it. That settles it, whether we believe it or not. But what the psalmist is saying is because God said something in his word, you can bank on it. You can trust it. You can believe in the Word of God. What does it mean to have faith or to believe in God's Word? It's, a, it's an interesting concept. Matter of fact, there was a missionary in the 1800s whose name was John Patton. And John Patton was a missionary to the Hebrides Islands. And he was trying to take the gospel to a people that had never heard about Jesus before. And in trying to get the gospel to them, he was translating the New Testament into their language. And he got to the concept of faith. And there was no word in their language to communicate belief or trust or faith. And he's wrestling, literally, he's in his hut, and he's wrestling with this idea of communicating the concept of faith. And one of the natives comes running in the hut where he's translating, and the native Plops down in a chair, just exhausted, and said, Whew, it feels so good to rest my whole weight on this chair. And John Patton sat up and said, That's it. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. And he used that as his phrase to communicate faith. And the translation of the New Testament saw many come to Christ. But when you think about this concept of trusting, The word of God. Here's what he's saying. When you're in one of those places in life where you're being as good a steward as you can be with your finances, you're honoring God with everything he's entrusted to you and you're living out the biblical principles of generosity and stewardship and you have bills and financial commitments that it just doesn't add up, you can't pay it, you're honoring God, you're doing what he said, you're budgeting, you're generous, but there's just a financial crisis and you can't pay. You know what he's saying you can do? 
You can sit back and you can rest your whole weight on Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where he said, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When it just doesn't add up on paper, I can sit back and I can rest my whole weight on God and know that God is in control. Listen, you ever been in one of those situations in your walk spiritually where in your walk spiritually you're frustrated because the flesh seems to be winning? You seem to be getting discouraged and you're trying hard, but, but the, the, the acting out of your Christian faith, the living the life of Christ, allowing him to live in you, there's a battle. Maybe there's an area that you're really struggling in and you start to get defeated and think maybe God's done with me. God's going to give up on me. No, let me hear what you, here's what you can do. You can sit and you can rest your whole weight on Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 where Paul wrote these words. He said, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. God's not done with me. God's not given up on me. God's not frustrated with me. God's not given me over. No, he will finish what he started. And I can sit back and I can rest on the promise of God and I can rest my whole weight on it. You ever been in a situation in a relationship with your job, with your health? where things are just kind of out of control and nothing is working out the way you thought it was going to. You had a plan, and here's the way things are going, and it's totally opposite of the plan that you thought. What do you do in those moments? Let me tell you what you do. You sit back, and you rest your whole weight on God because Paul said, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are... I may not see it right now. I may not can see where this is headed, but I can sit back, and I can rest my whole weight on God and I can know that he's in control. I can know not only is he in control, he's good. And everything in my life is going to work out for my good and for his glory. You ever been in a situation where you didn't even know what to pray? It was so messed up. You didn't even know what to ask God for. We can sit back and rest in Romans 8 where he said when we don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit of God is interceding for us in groanings that are too deep for words. We can rest our whole weight on the promise of God. Why? Because God's word can be trusted. The psalmist said forever, O Lord. Your word is settled in heaven. Let me give you one more. Y'all got time for one more? Here's one more. One more. God's word demands priority in my life. Okay? I mean, based on what we've said so far in these two weeks, is that not a no-brainer? Let's put all eight of them back up there for a second. Look at all eight of these things. God's Word promises me God's favor. God's Word produces in me godly character. God's Word ushers me into His presence. God's Word counsels me in my daily life. God's Word awakens in me the worship of God. God's Word sustains me in life. God's Word can always be trusted. Duh! Shouldn't the Word of God be given priority? I mean, how many of you want one through seven, right? Now, that's why we're here. I'm, I want in on one through seven. Well, here's what he says. Th- then you got to give the word of God priority in your life. 
All these things we've talked about this morning are true. But listen, if you're not giving the Word of God priority in your life, in those moments when you need it most, there's nothing there to draw from. And we get in those situations and then, oh God, I need something. we got to give it priority. Let me show you how the psalmist said it. Listen to what he said. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Here's what he said. I've done the math. And the word of God is more valuable than any material possession. Do you treasure the word of God like that? Look at another one. Psalm 119 verse 147 and 48. Listen to what he said. I rise before dawn. You know what that means. That means... He said, I get up before the sun comes up and cry for help. Why? Because I'm waiting for your word. My eyes anticipate the night watches. Why? So I can meditate on your word. Hear what he's doing? He's not grabbing an Oswald Chambers moment if he has time to fit it in. He's ordering his life around the priority and the value Of the word of God in his life. And here's what I'm afraid has happened. So many of us in our culture. Have become so familiar. With the word of God. That we take. We got more copies of it in our homes. At the click of a button. You've got translations on your iPhone, iPad, computer. That we've taken for granted the word of God. I want to show you a video clip that we found. And this video clip is about a tribe of people who've never had the word of God in their language before. And for the first time in the history of these people's language, generations and generations, They are bringing the written word of God to them. And I want you to see their response and use it to reflect on your own heart's response to the word of God. Watch this clip.
Thank you for listening to this message from Hope Church. We would love to connect with you, so be sure to follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LB.